But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this opportunity uh, to remember the story. Remember how you allowed your son Jesus your, your word to become flesh and to dwell among us. And I pray, Father God, as we hear this story this morning, that you would capture our imagination, that you would allow your spirit to, to work, that we may hear a word from you. We are desperate and we long to hear a word from you this Christmas to, to not be captivated by, by things and materialism, but to be captivated by your spirit, by this, this message of peace on earth and goodwill to, towards men, this message of, of justice, this, this message of, of coming. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, today we continue our, our series on the, uh, the mothers of Jesus. And this has been a series where we've looked at the genealogy of Jesus according to Matthew, and we've seen that there are five women in Matthew's genealogy that, that lead up to Jesus. And so we've looked at Tamar and, and Ruth um, and Bathsheba, women that were kind of unlikely to be mentioned in a Jewish genealogy, Gentile women. Uh, women that were seemingly kind of forgotten and that had some type of scandal hanging around their, their story. But what we've been learning is, is that God cares about their story, that God is the God of their story, and that God is not only a God of inclusion for, for, for Gentiles, as he's writing to a, a, a Jewish audience, but that God cares about the least of these, the, the, the lowly, the, the humble, those who we may uh, forget about. And today we're going to continue to reflect upon this message by looking at the literal mother of Jesus, Mary. And we see in, in Matthew's gospel that uh, genealogy that Mary, of course, is mentioned in chapter 1, verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So our attention today, we want to look at the story of Mary. And what I want us to think about today is just disruption, disruption. 
And how Advent is a reminder of a God who disrupts our ordinary, a God who disrupts our life. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that if we are Christian, all of us have had a disruption. For we once were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together uh, with Christ Jesus. And he did this by, by grace and by grace alone. If you are Christian, you have experienced a disruption. But the thing I want to remind us is that as those who are faithfully trying to walk and to follow Jesus, that our lives are, are full of disruption. And Christmas reminds us to trust this God of disruption. Now, I know if you're like me, you don't like disruption. If I'm trying to watch a game or a movie or once I've got my schedule set for the day when disruptions come, I'm like, nope, nope, nope. But what God wants us to see today is we need to open our hearts and have a radical trust for him and to see that our lives will have disruption and in a good disruption, that he can disrupt us in his word as we just read his word. He can disrupt us during our time of prayer. He can disrupt us through, our, through trials and through tribulations. He can disrupt us a number of different ways. And there's something powerful about when a a believer allows that disruption and who, like Mary, responds to that disruption with a bold yes. And that's what we see here in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. We see a major disruption happening to an ordinary, lowly girl. And what she does is she considers the things that she has heard and she gives a bold yes. Now, the text tells us that Mary is a is a virgin, verse 27. And she's pledged to be married to a, a man named Joseph, who was a, a descendant of, of David. And this is important that the, the author is pointing to Mary's virginity. And the reason that this is important is because there was a prophecy that, were given, that was given hundreds of year, years ago, as recorded by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And the prophecy says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So God chooses to come to a woman named Mary through an angel by the name of Gabriel. And Gabriel disrupts Mary, who is a virgin. And the reason he disrupts this particular girl who is a virgin is to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy that was given by Isaiah. But here's something else that's interesting. When we read Matthew's genealogy and we learn about the genealogy of Jesus, we are reminded by this promise that was given to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, this covenant with David that, that David's uh, kingship will forever be important, that there will come a, a king that will reign for all eternity in in the name of David, so to speak, okay? And we know that David, as we trace his genealogy, is, is from the tribe of, of Judah, which was also prophesied back in Genesis 49 to a man named Judah that from his lineage would come a, a king and Israel's kingship. So God is doing his thing. God is working his kingship out. He's working these promises out, and he continues to do it in ways that we don't expect, and the way that he does this is by coming to a virgin by the name of Mary, 
who was about to be wed to a man named Joseph. Now, here's the thing about Joseph. Joseph is from the tribe of Judah, which means that Joseph comes from the lineage of King David. But here's what's amazing. We learn in the text that Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus, which means that Jesus is adopted into the lineage of David and into Joseph's family. And here's what's amazing. What's amazing is that Jesus has all, is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant and is the fulfillment of the prophecy, the, the blessing that Judah received through adoption, which is a great reminder for us as Christians that in God's sight, a, a father who adopts has the same significance as a biological father before the Lord. And the power of adoption, Jesus was a was adopted by Joseph because Mary had Jesus, not as a result of intercourse, Mary having intercourse with a man, but as a result of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary. And that's what the angel comes to Mary and says, and I love verse 28, the angel calls her highly favored and says, the Lord is with you. And then in verse 29, the Bible says that Mary was greatly troubled. Now, one thing that stuck out to me this week is because often when I've taught through the, Mary, the story of Mary and I've seen this fear uh, or the troubling of Mary, the Mary becoming undone, I just kind of ch- uh, chalked that up to the fact that there was an angel in Mary's presence. And certainly by other gospels accounts, that has something to do with it. Mary is looking at an angelic being, a being that is constantly in the presence of God who undoubtedly looks different than the average human being. As she goes around about her lowly, ordinary life in the middle of nowhere, I'm sure she was afraid, right? But the thing that greatly troubled her, the text says, was her words, the angel's words. The angel said, you're highly favored. I could just imagine Mary, this teenage mother who was living in a a very uh, obscure place, Nazareth, that is, is not very well known, suddenly having a visitation from the angel and being called favored by God. I can just imagine her wrestling with that, saying, who, me? But this message of one being highly favored is a message that we see throughout the Scripture. And honestly, when God says that one is highly favored, it's not necessarily a promise that everything is about to go well. This isn't a a prosperity gospel message coming from the angel. (laughs) One writer writes, Mary might have remembered the stories of her religious heritage and wondered what it really meant to find favor with God. She might have known the story of Abel's being killed by Cain because Abel was favored of God. And maybe she imagined with Sarah pregnant at 90 because God favored her must experience, must have experience. She might have recalled Abraham favored by God, yet commanded to sacrifice his only son, whose birth he had waited for decades. Perhaps she remembered Joseph, the favored one, sold into slavery by his brothers. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba found favor with God, but they suffered betrayal, deaths, scandals, and isolation. Or faithful Job, favored by God, yet he lost everything he possessed. 
I don't know what's going through Mary's mind, but whatever it is, it troubles her. And part of the angel's message to her was that she was highly favored. And then we read in verse 30 that the angel tells her not to be afraid, once again, because you have found favor. And then he drops a lyrical bomb on her. He drops a verbal bomb on her. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and we be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So Mary, as a, as a faithful Jewish woman, She's waiting just like everyone else for this next king, this next Messiah to come. And most of them, under their understanding, they're expecting a king to come and to deliver them from, from Roman oppression, to put them back on the map as a, as a world-dominating force who's going to take the light of Yahweh to the nations. And she hears this message. I'm sure she's overwhelmed as she's thinking, wait a minute, is this happening? She's probably pinching herself smacking herself, trying to figure out what is happening. Like, what did I eat? Am I hallucinating? Right? But then she has a very practical question that she asks in verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? She's like, hey, I hadn't had much, much schooling, but I do know something about how this normally works. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come to you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now notice how God is naming Jesus, right? Mary and Joseph, they don't get to name him. God is naming Jesus. Just as in the story before, we see her cousin Elizabeth and Zachariah receive the name of their child, right? Why? Because God has taken ownership of his son, his only begotten son. This child is, is the son of God. Son of God. So after this is explained in verse 37, which I really think is the, the thrust of, of, of Luke chapter 1, the theme of Luke chapter 1, can be summarized by, by this one verse, for no word from God will ever fail. That's what Gabriel says to her. In other words, he's saying this is a fulfillment of a promise and prophecy, and you can take this to the bank because when God says something's going to happen, child, it's going to happen. But look at verse 38. Mary has this great disruption. Her life in just a moment is changed as she is favored by God. And look at how she responds. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. May your word to me be fulfilled. That is a bold yes. And let me tell you why Mary's yes is bold. She's a teenager. She is, in our terms, engaged to be married. She's told she's about to have a child, and she's already with child, though she has never done the marriage act. She's living in a culture where to be a woman though she may not have experienced it that way because it's all she's ever known, was pretty, pretty much oppressive. She's living in a culture where to be a young woman <laughs> was doubly oppressive. She's living in a culture where not only is she, she young and a woman, but she is a poor woman in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of Nazareth. I mean, Jesus was asked, does anything good come out of Nazareth? 
And she has all this on her. She has this angelic being before her. And look at her response. It is a bold yes. My question to you this morning, this Advent, this Christmas, will you acknowledge this God who disrupts your life? Will you acknowledge that God is the type of God who, 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 who gets in there and who allows things to happen in your life, things that maybe you didn't expect or that you didn't plan, and he disrupts it and what he is after from us in those disruptions is faith and obedience. In fact, we read a shocking word from Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 11, Verse 27, one day, Jesus, of course, is older, and uh, he's ministering, and this is in Luke 11, and someone comes up to him, and they yell, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nurse. They're so enthusiastic about his ministry that they, they yell, you're blessed. Blessed is the woman who, who gave you life. And Jesus responds in a really bold way. I'm going to read this slowly because I want, want you to hear this. They're saying, blessed is your mother who gave you life. And he responds, on the contrary. They're probably like, what? Blessed are those who hear the word of God and who obey it. No, no, no. Now, this isn't a diss at Mary, his mother. But this is an invitation to all of his disciples who are saying, blessed is the person who gives a bold yes. Blessed is a person who, whose, whose life seems to be kind of, kind of stacked up against them and whose odds are stacked up against them, who, who feels forgotten and, and lowly and, and, and broken, but who believes God at his word, that he loves them and calls them his own, that they are significant that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Blessed is the person who is pushing through in the Spirit by grace to obey the Lord despite how you feel. The Lord calls you blessed. Advent, Christmas, Christmas is a time to remember what God can do with a bold yes. Christmas is a time to remember what God can do through lowly people. Christmas is a time to remember what God can do with the people who radically, in the midst of despair, in the midst of sin, in the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of financial difficulties, in the midst of marital difficulties, in the midst of parenting difficulties, in the midst of being single and being alone. Christmas is a time to remember what God can do with one who radically trusts him. It says, Lord, you are enough. Whatever you have said to your servant, let your will be done. So as we look today really quickly, I just want to point us and give us and us to see an invitation to say yes, a bold yes to the Lord this Christmas. A bold yes in the face of demonic oppression, abode yes in the face of our trials, abode yes in the face of Satan who is a liar and who is trying to deceive you, abode yes to the Lord, 
to a God who disrupts us. And that's what God has done here. He has disrupted Mary. But isn't that what the series is about? How God challenges our, our culture with his word? How God challenges the way we think things should be by turning things upside down as we are a part of an upside down kingdom? God disrupts this lowly girl's light, this, this humble girl's light, and, and he says, now you have been, uh, 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 you are lowly, but I'm going to make you honored. And that's what she sings about in her song, the first hymn of, of Christmas in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has done, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant." From now on, all generations will call me blessed. And that's what I want you to see there. She sees herself as a humble servant, a lowly servant, a poor servant. But then she sees what God has done. God has disrupted that narrative. God has disrupted her own expectations. God has disrupted the drama that was kind of in her own family genealogy. God has disrupted all of that. And he says, from now on, She says, people will call me blessed. Why? Because God has done great things. I just want to remind you that God is in the business of disrupting. And God often challenges our thinking by calling us to renew our mind in light of his word. So for this example, this series, as we've been talking about these these kind of forgotten women or women who uh, maybe... from, from the cultural lens back then, um, who should not have been in Joseph's uh, genealogy mentioned, we see that God disrupts that and he gives these women honor. But we see in this text that God is disrupting some cultural things. I'm going to push a little bit, okay? Here's the line. I'm about to get real close to the line. It's going to make some of y'all really uncomfortable. But I'm loving you right now because I'm telling you I'm about to get on this line, all right? Y'all ready? Here's how God is disrupting us. Some of us have a poor understanding of leadership. Let me get a little more specific. Man, y'all with me? Justin, if I jump, you going to catch me? Okay, good. (laughs) And our understanding of male leadership, specifically in our home, is that Because I'm the man, God speaks to me first, and and then I I get to put everything in order, and everybody else just fall in line and follow me. But notice in the text that God came to Mary first. Notice in the text that the, the angel Gabriel came and gave a woman a word. And this is a great reminder for us that perhaps leadership is not about who receives something first, but maybe leadership is about creating a culture that together moves forward in the Lord and in his wisdom. God speaks to women, fellas. And the wise husband is a a husband who is open to the Lord speaking and encouraging his wife as well. We say, well, Joseph and Mary wasn't married. 
Well, Samson's mom and dad, they were married, and God spoke. The angel came to Samson's mom first. It's a little Old Testament theology. The women at the tomb. Jesus' resurrection. Who first saw Jesus? If you can't say amen, you can say ouch. <laughs> I told you I was going to the line. Some of y'all looking like, no, he didn't. Yes, he did. Here's my point. My point is, is that in this culture, a culture in which women were not honored, a culture that is extremely patriarchal, God is constantly pressing on their norms. He's saying, I did not say that. <laughs> I'm working within your culture. And he appears to a young, poor woman and gives her a word. And may we allow God to disrupt us. Now, maybe that's not how God is, is challenging you today, but God is constantly disrupting his children through the word. And Christmas is a reminder for us to constantly humble ourselves, James 2, under the, the mighty hand of God, to, to humble ourselves in the spirit of meekness so that we can receive a word and allow God to disrupt. If God ain't never disrupting your finances... If God is never telling you to give sacrificially, if God is never disrupting the way you love your spouse and, and telling you to, to, to love your spouse more sacrificially, if, if God is, is never disrupting you, then perhaps your heart is not open and you've missed a, a key meaning of Christmas. God is in the business of disrupting. But not only this, we want to say yes to a God who invites us to think deeply about his message. I love in this passage how Mary, when she sees the angel and receives this word, the Bible says in verse 29 that she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. She wondered what type of greeting this might be. And that word wandered in the, in the Greek is it's not like she just quickly thought about but, but rather, it's a word that means that she considered it. She thought deeply about it, right? It's the word where we get the word logic from. She, she logically considered what was being said. And notice that after she, as she was considering it, what the angel did, the angel took her back to the Old Testament, the angel took her back to uh, what God said before. And that's the, the same thing. As we think about Christmas, as we think about this season, we want, we want to think deeply about these things. Some people have a, a misnomer that the Christian faith is just this, this, this faith that's made up of fairy tales and fantasies. And, and as if it is not logically rooted. But the Bible is a historical book. And we have historical reasons to believe that everything that it says, it has happened. In fact, in Luke chapter 1, Luke is making very clear to his audience that he has done his research, that he has investigated the things that he is about to share. In verse number 2 of Luke 1, it says, Just as they were handed down to us by those whom from the first were our witnesses and servants of the word, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. This is an orderly account that Luke is writing as he has investigated what has happened. And in this book, he has people in places 
that he is pointing to where people who were living back in the day could have went and kind of fact-checked them, right? Y'all know y'all be fact-checking too. Preachers say something, you Googling like, hmm. <laughs> On Wikipedia too, like it's... <laughs> right? So we have an orderly account here. And the thing I want to tell you is, is that God is okay <laughs> Maybe you're here today just with a friend and you're, you're not a Christian and you, you think of Christmas as just this fairy tale. I want, you to, I want to encourage you to think deeply, to think logically about the message that I am preaching, to do research, to read about how the Bible has come into existence, to read the New Testament for yourself and to hear this message that I proclaim to you today and to think deeply about it. And God is not upset when you do. As Christians, we have received a thinking faith, a faith in which we are confident that if, if one uh, does the homework and one cries out to God for, for revelation, that God can help you to see clearly. It's the Holy Spirit that brings light. It's the Holy Spirit that allows us to, to believe and to see correctly. But God is not afraid of you doing what, what Mary did here, considering what has been said. And today, the most important thing I want you to consider, the most important thing that I can say to you is that God became a man, that the God of this universe humbled himself and became a baby, that the God who was holding all things together, who was allowing the earth to spin on an invisible axis, the, the God who created atoms and who gave each of us our own unique DNA became a man. And the reason he became a man was because you needed salvation and you need salvation. You need salvation because you were born a sin, a sinner. And the wages of sin is death. And the only way to be in relationship with a perfect God, a God of justice, is to be forgiven of your sins, is to be declared not guilty. And the only way to be declared not guilty is not by your works of righteousness. It's not by being a, a great person or a good person, whatever that means to you. It's by seeing that God came to solve the problem for you through Jesus Christ. And that when you look to his finished work, his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection by faith that you receive his righteousness and he takes all upon your sin, all, upon, all of your sins upon himself, past, present, and future. This God is both just and the justifier. And Luke is writing this book as well as the other gospel writers to let people know that this was not a fairy tale. This was a historical event that took place and that happened. So will you think deeply about this? Will you think logically about this and cry out to the Lord and ask him to reveal the truth to you and enter into relationships with other people to other Christians to, to see what they believe and to give them a chance to, to walk with you. Just like Mary here in the next passage, she goes to her cousin Elizabeth. And her cousin Elizabeth, through that encounter, what has been told to her is confirmed. Perhaps you can make space to go to someone and allow God to confirm these things with you. But third, Christmas is a time 
and an invitation to give a, a bold yes to a God who promises to fulfill his word. The angel says in verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. That's the thrust of this passage, what God has promised God will bring to pass. And, and Mary's song, the first hymn of Christmas, this Magnificat, she says in verse 55 in the song, she writes, Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. She sees that this is a promise of God that he is keeping. Though hundreds of years has went past, 400 years since God has spoken to Israel, God was faithful to his word. God was faithful to his promises. Israel no doubtly probably thought, where is God? Has he forgotten us? Where is the prophets? Where is a word? And God shows up to a woman in the middle of nowhere and reminds her of his promises and tells her on her that she can bank on them. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 God said, Moses said, God is not a man that he should lie, nor son of man that he should change his mind. When God speaks, he acts. When God makes a promise, he comes through. And Christmas is about God delivering on that promise by allowing his own son, his own omnipresent son, his own omnipotent son, his inconquerable son to become a man to restore what was broken, to give justice to those who are without, to give life to all who will put their faith in him. Jesus gave a bold yes. And the reason we're here to celebrate this morning is because Jesus gave a bold yes. Apostle Paul writes, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as a as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a servant and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus gave a bold yes. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So my question to you is, is this Advent, will you say a bold yes to the Lord? And where's the Lord calling you in your own life through life's disruptions to say yes to? Will you believe and remember the promises of God that they are yes and amen? And cling to a son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. And every Sunday we celebrate Jesus' bold yes by taking a meal together called communion. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. He says, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. Christian, as often as you uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. You say amen to his promises. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread. We dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. If you're not a Christian, I want you to consider to, to think about the things that you have heard. 
to consider what you have heard, this good news, this message that God has come into the world to redeem sinners and that he offers abundant life and eternal life to those who turn from their sins and trust in his son. Today, I want to invite you to do that. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever will believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Say a bold yes today. Those of you who are in front half of the room, come to the front for communion. Back half of the room, you can go to the back. Gluten-free communion is over to my left. Let's pray.